God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Well, God bless and welcome to another episode of Family Discussion. My name is Marcus Ortega, and as always, I am joined by the academically genius. No, that's not a good one. Is no, that a good one? It is not no. a good one. You know, there's you a reason are, I... You're the one with the degree. There is a reason that even though for, you know, I was, so I went through seminary for six years, and most of that, I was kind of focused on the PhD program continuing. There's a reason I didn't do that. So I'm just saying you you gone farther than I have. So of the two of us, you are the academic genius in the room. Let's okay. just be clear about that. Uh, it is the academic genius and the pastor. I am the pastor. Lisa is the academic genius. Lisa, how are you? I'm I'm doing well. Yeah, you hanging in there? I'm I'm hanging in there. Um, you know, I'm encouraged by the uh, you, you know. Listen, so we've been a year into this pandemic, right? Who knew? That, Man. you know, we would be doing, I mean, a year. Think about that. And a year for and for for pastors, you know. I mean, when you guys, a year ago, when you had to sit down and make the decision, like, what are we going to do now? I'm guessing y'all probably didn't anticipate having to navigate through this for a whole year. <laughs> not for a year. No. I, so I was not in the room when the decisions were being made because I was on the other side of the world. I was in Israel when all this went That's down. That's right. Um, and in fact, um, in, in the middle of March of 2021, I baptized a guy who I'd gone to Israel with. And it was one year to the day from when we were in Jerusalem together. And, uh, and then I got to baptize him here in our local church, which was a really cool experience. You know, when, when COVID hit us, um, I was getting the news from the other pastors who were still here. Um, they were just letting me know, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. I know it is a year now um, when we close the doors. So we closed the doors on the 15th of March, mm-hmm. um, or maybe the 8th even. Mm-hmm. But the plan was take two weeks off, ride this out. And come right back. And uh, then the plan became, well, we'll be back by Easter. And we're going to blow it out for Easter. And and then after that one, we could see it wasn't going to happen. We stopped making plans. Yeah. Um, we, we realized at that point, hey, we're going um, to, we're, we're, we're not going to be able to make an accurate, uh, an accurate guess as to what we're going to do. Now, we came back in person at the end of June. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of churches, some still, churches still so, aren't back. Are still not back. And I thought about still that. We were out for two months. And fortunately, even though we have a Democratic governor, and I say that because in Democratic states, as you know, they just tend to be a little more strict. 
yeah, you know, yeah. in, in terms of what you can do. But, um, you know, for, right from those beginning phases, um, when things, you know, were, were allowed to open up a little bit, churches could operate at 50% capacity. Um, and that, I know that just hasn't been, ha- wasn't happening in a lot of other similar states. So very fortunate in that regard. So we were out almost two months. And, you know, the fact that, and I say this year, uh, in terms of, you know, this being a year mark, and noting that there are still churches that are not, that are still not meeting. And that's rough because we are supposed to have an embodied presence with each other. There's a reason it's called corporate worship. Um, And so to miss that for a year, that's rough, you know, and I'm one of those number check. Listen, I'm a little anal. I have for a year, a whole year now, I have been a daily numbers checker. You're still checking the numbers? I am still checking the numbers. (laughs) I am. Don't laugh. I am because, (laughs) but I'm encouraged by the downward trend that I've seen these past few weeks. So I check, yeah, you know, yeah. Virginia numbers and then I check the national what's going on on the national scene. <laughs> I know. I will be so glad when I'm not doing that anymore. But I do. But lately right. I've really been thinking about those folks who have, you know, are still having to go virtual pastors who you know are having to still navigate this thing virtually and and that's rough. And, and we need to go, and, and we need to go easy on your pastor because they're deal, they're dealing with a lot through this. That's all I can oh, say. Oh man, we should we should clip that and put that out. Just to go easy on your pastor part. <laughs> I tell you, man, it has been a year because you know, of course, during COVID lockdown, um, you have the summer after George Floyd's killing, mm-hmm. and all of that, all of what happened there, um, race and justice have been conversations that churches have been wrestling with and struggling with probably since Trayvon Martin, Mm -hmm. um, especially since Ferguson. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things we've tried to do this season, and we can kind of, this is our season finale, so we can talk a little bit about what we've tried to do, and then we have a little bit of of new content today as well. Um, You know, one of the things we try to do is say, how do we have this conversation well? So... Um, Lisa, we spent the first half of this season basically defining terms. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that such an important way forward in this conversation? Why do a full like eight episodes on definitions before we can even start? Well, I mean, because it's obvious when, you know, people have different perspectives on the race issue, right? And you have you know, anywhere along the spectrum for those who, for whom it's not an issue, we don't need to talk about it, you know, can we all just get along, you know, to the very hypersensitive, you know, folks that said, you know, this is very much an issue, it's always been an issue in the, in the framework of America, nothing's really changed, and it's not going to change until we, you know, take the bull by the horns and disrupt some things. And so in, you know, and so you have people all across, across the spectrum. And so when we talk about race, I mean, and sometimes they're just trigger words, right? When we say race or racism, or even something as simple as justice, which the 
Bible talks about, by the way. But even mm. saying, you know, the word justice can heap on these meanings that, you know, that may not be honest to the particular context. So we're we're wanting to say, okay, when you talk about addressing racism, what do you mean? When you talk about systemic racism, what do you mean? When you talk about injustice, what do you mean? When you say the church ought to do X, Y, or Z with respect to this, what do you mean? Because people are coming at this with different definitions and different expectations. Oh, no question. And they're also coming at it with different frameworks in view, right? So even if you have the definitions, if you're working from a different framework, I mean, we uh, this goes back a while. We even had a conversation about what is the gospel and, and kind of broad and narrow definitions of the gospel. That plays into how you, how you have this conversation. Um, an understanding of the church's role in, in our communities do we have a role to speak to these issues? Do we not have a role to speak to these issues? All of these, um, all of these convictions, theological positions are in the background. So when we have a conversation, we're not doing it in a vacuum. We're bringing all kinds of presuppositions to the table as well. And so one of the things I've enjoyed about going through some of the definitions is talking through uh, what's in the background here that we need to address so that we're able to hear each other better. Mm-hmm. Like if, if we have a different definition of um, the church's role in our communities, then of course we're going to come to different places when we get to issues of race and justice. But if we don't have those deeper conversations about the presuppositions we bring to the table, then we talk past each other all the time. We're not able to actually hear where the other person is coming from um, so that we're, we're not able to say – Oh, well, that's a theological difference of opinion. That's methodological differences. Mm -hmm. We instead say, well, that's racism or that's hypersensitivity or that's this or that, where it could just be methodological difference. And what we've done, the two of us, I hope, is to find things in such a way that we're able to have a productive conversation going forward, especially in the areas where we have disagreements. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the second half of the season has been um it actually we we saw it as kind of a turn like a change in focus although it it does seem to naturally build off of definitions once you have your definitions in place what is the larger theological grid that we have to use to talk about race and justice well How, how do you actually bring our reform systematic categories to to play in these arenas of race and justice. And so we went through Doctrine of God. We've gone through Prolegomena. Um, what, has, what has been interesting or surprising to you, Lisa, as we've done this? I mean, this is, a, this is kind of a new exercise for me as well to look at this through systematic theology categories. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know whether it's necessarily surprising, but it's been certainly refreshing that when you, there's a certain constraint of placing these discussions within the framework of systematic theology um, that, you know, that I think helps guide the issue, addressing the issues in a way that that's not all over the place, you know. So I think that's, it's helped us get to some more refinement um, and, and that I've, I've really appreciated. And, you know, and it causes you to you know, it, it has those guardrails. 
So, you know, like, okay, if I start going past it, then now I'm, I'm, I'm no longer addressing these issues in a way that is scripturally informed, that is biblically faithful, um, and, and to the historic witness of the faith, right? So I think that that's, I think it's been really helpful in that regard. I don't know whether I've had really had any surprises. It's just, for me, it's been a very fruitful exercise. Because listen, I'm going to tell you. So in seminary, because my, my focus was on systematic theology. Right. And I just had a heart for, I did have a heart, I have a heart, still do have a heart for, for, for prolegomena. I, you know, really want to help people and how they shape their biblical theology, um, you know, walking through systematic theology. Um, when I started getting into the race conversation, I'm like, well, that's not me, really. That's other people, you know, well, ask the experts, you know, to speak on that. <laughs> this is my thing over here. Yeah. And, and one thing that to me has been personally on a, on a personal note, has been very refreshing is to see that marriage of, mm. you know, of, of what I have enjoyed um, with what in these past few years I've been speaking more on. Um, I'll be, I'll be it, you know, initially it was very reluctantly, but, um, but to just to see that, that marriage come together, that has been personally edifying for me. Well, it's it's been edifying for me as well, and, and it's been very helpful for me too. One of the things that's challenging in uh, the race conversation, especially in um, predominantly white churches and predominantly white denominations, is that some of the language that's used in these conversations can throw up roadblocks before you actually get to the substance, right? So um, there are very narrow definitions for terms like for like white supremacy and and white privilege and stuff like that that get used in the social justice conversation that aren't explained well when they're brought into local churches and so it can sound like you're saying everybody is a part of the KKK when you use these it's it's just unhelpful language yes. because people aren't skilled in critical theory or they're not skilled in sociological language they don't they haven't read the latest journal article so they don't know that these terms have specific uh, strategic ways of being used to be to be really narrow and and focused in what they're talking about and so what this has done for me is it's helped me try and come up with different language that is systematic theological and biblical language to get us there rather than borrowing sociological language. Mm. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to be the guy who says you shouldn't use sociological language. Like, that's just not me. I think there's a place for it. Uh, I just think that in our local churches, our default should be the biblical and the theological, not the sociological, right? So... Mm. In our local churches, I think a biblical and theological framework is more effective in actually moving us forward. Because the goal is not to have the conversation. The goal is to actually see change happen in our churches. The goal is to actually see movement happen in our in our communities. And so um, I, I think that this exercise has helped me think through the language a little bit more. What is good biblical theological language to use when addressing issues of race and justice. Um, and I think it takes a lot of creativity 
Uh, I don't think I've figured it out yet, but at least this process is helping me think that way a little more. Right, right. And, and you know, and that's been some of the, that's been really the frustration as I've observed the debates about critical race theory. Um, and it, you know, it's like, it, it's almost like it, it's become this weapon. And for, for or against, you know, I'm going to be honest, I think both sides are using it as a boogeyman. But <laughs> there, we need, you know, we need to wait. Okay, so what is at the heart of what this is saying? And let's scrap the, you know, let's just scrap the arguments about, you know, the superficial arguments about CRT. Let's get to the heart of what it's addressing. Now, I think there's, I think there's definitely still going to be um, some disagreement because when I look at what the heart of it is and how we address that from a biblical perspective, I'm going to come into disagreement with those who are more favorable. But we need to get past the the wars, the you know, over the language and saying, okay, what what is the idea behind this specific term? What are the ideas that we're dealing with? Um, and let's let's address that. That's the, it's it's that idea of getting past the fighting over words, right? So let's um, everybody can take out your Bible and oh. turn to Second Timothy. And what do we find in Second Timothy chapter two? Remind them of, the, of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. I mean, that's... Yeah. That's some pretty strong language. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. <clears throat> kind to everyone. All right. I just thought I had to pass through that for a second there. <laughs> Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So uh, one of the things that I, I've been doing this year at the suggestion of my senior pastors, I've read 2 Timothy every week of the year and I'm going to for the entirety of 2021. He said, this is just a letter to just read this over and over and over again because I'm a young pastor and young pastors are prone to getting into fights over words. And what I see in the CRT fight is a fight over words, not substance. And that's, I'll, I'll get told I'm wrong. I'll get told that, no, the words matter, that there's substance bound up in the words. Well, I'm sorry, but the pro-CRT, anti-CRT fight has even divorced itself from CRT. It's just who's on what side and let's go to war. Right. And, and I think it's the systematic categories that we're trying to wrestle with and it's systematic theology that actually comes naturally out of the scriptures. And we both believe that, uh, and we both subscribe to the Westminster standards. We're both Presbyterians. And so we're looking at that specific lane. This is the system of doctrine that we have. This is the form, the, the, this is the form of sound words. And how do we make sure that we are able to um, 
to, to take these large ideas, ethnicity, race and racism, justice, be it biblical justice, social justice, however you want to, you know, adjective that. How do we take those and put them into the proper biblical categories to actually help people mm-hmm. and actually move us forward um, and get out of the, the fights that are happening on Twitter about words? It's just not quarreling about words and never going to get us anywhere. Right. I agree. I, and it's not helpful. Um, and it certainly isn't, doesn't present a good face um, oftentimes. I'm not saying always. There, I think that there, I, I have seen some thoughtful exchanges. But for the most part, it just, it's not a good look um, for us. Yeah, it's not. And, you know, so, so what we want to do for these, these last few minutes of the season is we want to wrap up our time in, in prolegomena, in the doctrine of Scripture. Um, and, and this is going to prep us for where we're heading next in next season. So we will be back. This is not the end of family discussion. We'll be back for more episodes here in a couple months. Um, I'm not sure exactly when you will hear from us. We'll let you know. Don't worry. We're not going to surprise you with it. We'll, we, you have to do the whole marketing thing and let people know that you're coming back. We'll do that, but, but we'll tell you what we're going to talk about when we get back. We're going to go right into the next segment of systematic theology, and we're going to keep doing this. Um, we're, we're, it's going to take us probably three or four seasons to get through the entirety of systematic theology if we want to go slowly and do it well. Um, and then when we're all done with this and we've solved all the issues, then we can go and talk about something else. <laughs> but, uh, you know, to close this up, we are talking about uh, our doctrine of Scripture. We spent a lot of time talking about general revelation, the relationship between general and special. Um We've talked about really what is the, um, you know, what, why do we limit ourselves to the Bible as the, the most clear expression of, of God's special revelation to us. Um, we have talked about the story that the Bible tells and how a different emphasis within that story might lead us to different application of the biblical story into our contexts. Last week, we spent time talking about the culture of the actual biblical writers and how that might impact uh, the, the writing of scripture. Now I want to talk a little bit about the way our present culture can impact the way we read the scriptures and receive them, um, in ways that reading those scriptures might actually distort and, and, um, why, why we would need, this is part of a larger argument for me personally, of why we need a global church speaking into our uh, understanding of the scriptures is we emphasize different things in different cultures mm-hmm. and we want a more holistic view of scripture. So, um, Lisa, when you think about the way our cultures can um, almost distort our understanding of the Bible or even add to our understanding of the Bible, what comes to mind? Oh, gosh. So a couple things. One is from the past and the way that scripture was used to, um, to endorse slavery, right? Because there's not a specific um, prohibition against slavery. And we can look at the book of Philemon and, you know, and, and, and see that that was used like, well, wait a minute, Paul says, you know, to that, you know, he sends Onesimus back to, you know, to his owner. And, and, and this is why last week, last episode's conversation was so important in understanding the cultural context of what that meant. Like what, it, what was slavery 
in the Roman system? And how did it differ from American chattel slavery? So, you know, we know that there were plenty of um, Presbyterians and others who, you know, looked at that and said, well, yeah, this is, you know, this is how it should be. Um, One person in particular, uh, Robert Louis Dabney, who, you know, who argued that um, that slavery was actually the, a fitting lot for persons of African descent. Um, and so then you have that in what was obviously very culturally acceptable being imposed upon scripture. So that's one way, you know, you talk about uh, distortions, you know, you have theories like the curse of Ham and, you know, and that sort of imposed this inferiority upon persons of African descent. Um, But then when I look at what's going on in our current culture, in terms of, um, you know, very much an emphasis on uh, dignity for women, dignity for um, black people, for, for people of color. Um, and then we can sort of impose that upon the biblical text and rob it of, a, of its more universal application. Um, and so that's another way that I see scripture being misused, if you will, because of what the broader culture is saying. I think you're right. I think that's definitely something that can happen. We can take the issues of the day and make all of the Bible about the issue of today when it's actually about the issues of the first century. And the application of what Christ accomplished in the first century um, to our lives, which leads us to salvation through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, um, you know, I think one of the things that is good, though, about, you know, I, I, I can be very critical of American culture and the way that American culture has has a, a warped and twisted um, our understanding of the gospel. I, I, I have um, very little affection, to be honest, for the American evangelical uh, form of the church. Uh, I am much more, a, you know, I'm kind of a churchman. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm in the EPC. I love my denomination. I love my local church. But this whole broader thing of American evangelicalism, I have much more critical to say than positive. However, one thing that has been emphasized in Western Enlightenment Christianity is the individual responsibility of the Christian before God that the individual must be saved. We can go to a very communal place where it is about the people of God. And it is first, in my opinion, about the people. Mm -hmm. But I am also an individual who must stand before God. Mm -hmm. I'm also an individual who will be called to account for his sin. I'm an individual who is called to live in a particular way. And while we can way overemphasize the individualism of Christianity... One of the things we can also do is swing the pendulum so far, pe- pendulum so far that there is no individualism anymore, and and I think um, one thing that American culture has brought out of the scriptures in a positive way is the importance that there is an individual need for Christ. I need Jesus. Mm-hmm. While Christianity is not fundamentally about me and Jesus, I still need Jesus myself personally, and so that's 
that's a good thing, I think, that American culture has has really pressed into. Mm-hmm. And and we are accountable for our sin. Um, but you're right. I think there is a communal aspect that, um, and, and again, it depends on our perspectives. And that's what we're kind of focused on in this last conversation is how do we bring our cultural, personal, historical perspectives to bear um, on the text. And there's a place where we see differences between that individualized focus and that communal focus, right? So, so people from that tend to, people that come from cultures that are more communally oriented, um, will re you know they'll look at that they'll see they'll more readily see the communal aspect in scripture more so than the person who has you know who is you know has has this perspective of individualism um and that's what we need to keep in mind too i think when we're reading the scriptures right and that's why we need to to read it with humility to, you know, an understanding that, you know what, I have, I will have a tendency, right? It, it, whatever appeases my flesh. And, you know, I, I, I can take even that with the, um, you know, with my, my personal cultural perspective. And I can read into the text some, something that maybe I shouldn't be, um, and that's where we get, I think, even when it comes to biblical interpretation, right? You know, somebody will, you know, read a passage of scripture and then the person was like, how are, how are you understanding scripture that way? Right. Because everybody's using the Bible. Right. But, you know, but there's a place where we can bring in our personal perspectives and have differences, even in interpretation. Well, and and. One of the other things that we need from people's, our culture can lead us astray in ways that lead us contrary to scripture. We need folks from other cultures to help keep us hemmed in. Mm -hmm. So a fascinating thing that happened uh, with our brothers and sisters in the Methodist church over the last uh, few years, they've been debating heavily the issues of human sexuality, just like a lot of of mainline denominations have, and a lot of, um, you know, more conservative denominations Mm -hmm. have at least had to have the conversation. Where do we stand on this? What does it look like? I know the EPC has put out a large position paper, um, homegrown, wrote it ourselves, um, and uh, that, so we didn't have to adopt another statement my PCA sister. Uh, but in the EPC, we, we wrote out, I mean, we had to deal with this. What are we doing with human sexuality? What are we dealing with, with gender? These are important issues that are made even more important when we see things like the Equality Act get out of the House mm-hmm. and head towards the Senate, right? So um, these are important things for churches to talk about. Well, the UMC, they, the United Methodist Church, they have this conversation. And overwhelmingly, American bishops in the in the Methodist Church want to see the church change their definitions of marriage, change the understanding of sexuality, mm-hmm. all that. It is the Methodist Church in the global south that kept that from happening because they outnumbered the Methodists in the United States and Europe. And they said, "No. We're not going there. We're not doing that." Good our culture, our culture was pushing us in this direction here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And the African and South American bishops in the in, in the UMC were just like, we don't care where your culture's pushing you. Here's where the scripture's at. Right. 
And and so that's one of the beauties of a global denomination. Now, the UMC has since announced that they're going to split. Um, mm. But there is allowing the, the um, perspectives of folks outside of our culture to speak into our existence as a local church is really helpful because our context can create such a haze that sometimes we're unable right. to read the scriptures well because of this cultural haze. We've got to have other voices helping us here. Right. I agree. What do you think? This is for free, and I hadn't thought about this. I, uh, oh, I don't no. know. I, I know. This gets this is what gets us into trouble. There are um, folks who are in the Reformed tradition who are serving in Africa. As they have watched the um, conversation around race take place in the U.S., mm-hmm. many of them have either remained silent or have um, offered words of caution. I think of uh, our brother Conrad Mbewe, mm-hmm. um, who's a great brother in the Lord and has done incredible work. He doesn't speak to this much, but when he does, he kind of sounds a note of caution of be careful. How do, how, how do we receive that as American Christians who are like swimming in this every day? Mm-hmm. I, think we should re- I think we should receive it well, honestly, because if we're going to talk about Christianity, right? And we understand that the application, we're going to have some cultural differences, but the core of Christianity, what God has done through his son, you, you look at the, you know, the swap, uh, you know, the whole uh, t- story from Genesis to Revelation. And what might, um, what is God doing in his creation? Um, there's a place where we can go off track. We can get so imbibed with our specific cultural issues that we go off track because what God has done through his son is meant for people of all times in all places and what hearing from our African brothers and sisters ought to do is 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 temper us it ought to raise Mm -hmm. questions are we going off track are we be, are we defining our christianity so much by this cultural issue that it's really deviating from christianity so i think that he is i i, I think that's an absolute caution well and and i think you know i bring that up because uh, it, it is men like conrad uh, conrad and bewe who have helped caution me from going too far because the, the, it is listening to the voices in other countries dealing with other issues that help me to stay grounded mm-hmm. in, um, you know, what is it that we all agree on? Like, the church as a whole for 2,000 years has been saying one thing with a united voice. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Amen. Physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like, in the end, Christianity boils down to a single question. Did Jesus raise from the dead or not? If he did, that's the game changer. Like that's that changes everything, and 
for 2,000 years, with some exceptions, right? There are, and this is what we can lose sight of in the United States as well. We, we have a lot more theological liberalism in the U.S. and in Europe than there is in other nations around the world. Mm -hmm. And so we can start to think to ourselves, oh, no, the church by and large doesn't believe in the physical resurrection anymore or the mm-hmm. church by and large is becoming universalist right no, it's not the church by and large affirms the physical resurrection of jesus christ and the church by and large is trinitarian through and through not universalist and we ought to be um encouraged by the global church to say, hey, these things that are essential, that are of first importance, mm-hmm. remain of first importance, and we ought not get too distracted by um, these other... These other conversations are important, but they mm-hmm. can distract us from the gospel if we're not careful. Right. Absolutely. So, Lisa, um, as we keep going into next season and talking about you know, more systematic theology, we're going to talk a lot about the doctrine of man... Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the doctrine of Christ and the we're doctrine of sin and the doctrine of sin. Um, we're we're going to get eventually to the doctrine of the church. Like that's probably one of the last places we'll get. So that's in like, I don't know, 18 seasons, something like that. We'll get there. But when we get through systematic theology and, and having looked at all of these issues through that kind of a grid, what, what is your hope? As we, as we finish this series up, what is it that you hope we're able to accomplish? I hope that we can consider our priorities. Um, what, like you just said, what is of first importance? What is of most importance? What can we let go of? What needs addressing? Because now, I'll be honest with you, I think there's a lot of noise about things that people are saying need addressing that I'm like, but why are you saying that? You know, is it to appease some kind of personal satisfaction? And that personal satisfaction can take on a collective tone. Or is it something like, are are we really talking about injustice? that really needs to be addressed because listen we you know the bible says it for us to do justice and when we see something wrong in front of us we should be able our christian lens should say you know what what can i do to bring good to this situation but i feared i've, I've said this in a previous episode i fear that we are um you know we are addressing this issue from a very macro perspective throwing around language, indicting those who don't agree with our particular perspective, but not really, like, are we really getting to the heart of what can be changed? Um, and that, for me, is, is my hope in, in all of this, is that for us to step back and say, you know, what, what, are, what are we doing here? What is required of us as a church, as redeemed people? Um, and starting first and foremost, right, with love of God. It's love of God first and love of neighbor. Um, so that's, you know, you mentioned the word distractions. I think there are a lot of distractions out there. 
Um, so if we can get through, you know, like we say in our intro every week, cut through the noise and really get to the heart of the matter and really get to the heart of like, what, what does living this Christian life on this earth really mean? Amen. I mean, that's cutting through the noise. That's what we're trying to do. You know, it's, it's an us versus them noise that's out there and systematic categories can help us cut through that noise. And so, you know, we, we've looked at a couple major sections of systematic theology this season. We looked at Dr. God. We've just finished looking at prolegomena or doctrine of scripture. Um, as we go through these, my prayer is that we are able to create a language that will help us actually move forward, that cuts through the noise, that's productive, that's constructive, not destructive. Um, and I, I also hope that through our conversations in the categories of systematic theology, we can show the lie that, um, uh, reveal the lie that says a conservative view of this is unbiblical or untheological, or a progressive view of this is unbiblical and untheological in political terms. I want that to be revealed as a lie. Because you and I don't have to agree on these issues to be coming from them from systematic theological categories and becoming from biblical categories. Um, If we are able to simply demonstrate we can disagree as brothers and sisters in the faith using the same theological grid then hopefully that will lead to more grace, more patience with one another, um, more genuine love for one another as we encounter people we disagree with in real life. Um, and so that's that's my hope for this. All of this is to help us be more like Christ. All of this is so that the fruit of the Spirit might be developed in us in all of our interactions. So, um, Lisa, any last words for the folks before we dive off for the season? You know... I just think of that passage in, in James, you know, be, be slow to speak, be quick to listen, slow to speak. We need to be slow, slow to speak, um, be better processors of information because it's so easy, especially when you've, you know, kind of, you know, uh, ascribed to a particular camp, um, you know, to go after, to go after others, Try to understand where where is this person really coming from, um, and I know that now in our just the, the the way that information flows, I know that's very challenging, and sometimes it means stepping away, and asking you know and chewing on some things. Am I really understanding this correctly, and what's at the heart of this? And and that goes for the same of jumping on bandwagons. Oh, this sounds really good, but like, let's get to the heart of it. Like, eh, is it compatible with Scripture, with what the whole Council of Scripture has to say about a particular um, issue? It's easy for us in these days to jump on bandwagons, and we need to be slow in doing that as well, except for the bandwagon of Jesus. So, hey, there you go. Listen, it the most that being patient and being gracious will cost you is some twitter followers and i guarantee you it's worth it it's totally worth it lose the twitter followers practice for the spirit be gracious we love you guys we'll see you next season thanks for tuning into family discussion
Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's family discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next family discussion.